All right, our scripture passage today is from Psalm 87. Psalm 87. You can find it on page 494 of those blue Bibles that are in the pews. You can listen to it first if you want me to read it to you. Um, And then when you sit down, you can open it up if you want. But Psalm 87. A psalm of the sons of Korah. A song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I am very thankful that we print the songs that we sing. I want to encourage you uh, to take your order of worship home and read through them this week. Um, Invariably, phrases jump out to me. Uh, Cooper's, nonetheless, when he says, were it true that you didn't answer prayer, that would be way too difficult for me. Did you hear how he said it in that song that we just sang, God of my life? That were a grief I could not bear didst thou not hear and answer prayer. But a prayer hearing and answering God supports me under every load. That's good news to hear on your first day of the week. Let's go before that God and pray. Father, we are your people and we come to you. And we confess, as we have sung in another song, it's out of our unrest and arrogant pride that we come to you. Jesus, I confess to you that I would like to separate those two, unrest and arrogant pride. And I would like to say that I struggle with unrest, but I do not struggle with arrogant pride. But Father, you know, and these who know me here know that that's not true. That along with my unrest is arrogant pride, hand in hand. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we praise you that you are the one who has found us. Father, some of us have shown up to church and we have looked at each other and said, you're not going to believe it, but God found me this week. And we have shed tears of joy over your finding us. Lord Jesus, we confess to you that you are the one our souls long for. But how often it is the case that out of our unrest and arrogant pride, we look elsewhere. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do not stop pursuing us, that you are the hound of heaven that chases us up the highways and the byways, and you find us. 
Father, I pray for the women and the men who have gathered here today that you would find us, each one of us, individually and corporately. And that as we hear from you and from your word, as we sit in the forgiveness that has already been proclaimed, and as we relish in the fact that now we have found rest, would you empower us to go into our weeks? Lord Jesus, would you make yourself known to us by the power of your Spirit? And as has already been prayed today, would we be transformed? Father, the world that we live in needs it. Father, we confess that we have all too often fed into the tension and into the chaos and into the anger and into the division. Father, we ask that as your people, filled with your love for this world that you have made, that you would enable us this week to step into the grief the sorrow, the brokenness, the joys that our friends and our family, that our communities experience. Lord Jesus, would you enable us to love the world the way that you love the world? But Lord Jesus, we ask that you would set our eyes on you so that we would not become like the world but rather we would become more and more like you. We praise you that you have said that this is accomplished by the work of your spirit, the means of grace. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you now, would you take your word read? Would you plant it deep into our hearts? Would you use these next few minutes for your glory? Help us, women and men created in your image, help us to believe the truth about who you are and what you have done for us, that we might be ready to give our lives away as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen. All right, we're going to continue on uh, in this study for the summer um, that the nations would be blessed we have said that the reason that God made his covenant with Abraham is for the blessing of the nations. We started in Genesis 12. We looked at Abraham. We have looked at Jacob. Uh, and just this last week, Nathan took us to this story in 2 Kings of this Syrian captain being blessed by this slave girl from, from Israel. We have been looking thus far in our summer, about the nations being blessed, about God's worldwide mission is what we have said. And as I studied Psalm 87, this song about that mission, one of the commentators wrote of that, that this is God's great and glorious worldwide mission of his chosen and beloved city, that his chosen and beloved would become the birthplace for the nations the place where the nations would be reborn. As we look at this psalm, this psalm that says, glorious things of thee are spoke on Zion city of our God. 
I want us to ask three questions. And these are the three questions. They're simple. Why the city? Why the saying? And then why the song? All right? That's how I want us to look at these seven verses really quickly. Why the city? Why are glorious things spoken of Zion? Why the sayings? What are those things that are spoken of Zion that are glorious? And why the song? Why is it a song? Look at it with me, if you will. Again, it's on page 494 of those Blue Pew Bibles. All right? Why the city? The very first three verses talk about this. You'll notice when you go to it that it actually has its own title. If you look in your Bible, it probably says something above 87, like glorious things of thee are spoken, of you are spoken. That's actually added. That's, that's the uh, editor's version of that's what this psalm is about. It's not in the original Hebrew text. But what is written right below that, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song, that's original. That's original. That's who wrote this song, the sons of Korah, and it is a song that was to be sung. All right? What is this Zion about? It says, on, this, on the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Why the city? Why is this psalm about the city? What is the city Zion? The first place we come to it is in 2 Samuel 5 when David fights the Jebusites and he takes this city, Jerusalem, from them. And in that city is a high mount that they call Zion, the highest point. That's what the word means. The high point is the place where the temple would be built. So Mount Zion is first as Solomon builds the temple, the location of the temple. But Zion becomes more than that. It also becomes the city. And then the people of Zion. Zion actually becomes used for the people of God. In the New Testament, Jesus would gather his people to him, the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, right? The people around him. Paul would say in Galatians 6 that those people of God are the Israel of God, is how he talks about the church in Galatians 6. And then ultimately, in the book of Revelation, there is a new city, a new Jerusalem that descends from heaven. This idea of Zion, the city of God, is what is woven throughout Scripture ever since this battle of David in 2 Samuel 5. Zion. But why the city? Why is this city such a big deal? If you remember in the garden, God gave Adam and Eve this, this creation mandate. Remember what it is? Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. In other words, what he's saying to them is he's saying, create a city. A city filled with people and bring order to it. A place where God and man would dwell. But you know the story. The story is one of rebellion in which Adam and Eve... They look at what God has commanded and they decide, you know, he's not for us. And he is stingy with his generosity. He's not going to give us what we need. And so instead they take. And we see the failure of the city from the very beginning as Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden. And as Cain, the first to murder his brother Abel, runs to an earthly city where the biggest fear is that of protection. We see in this prehistory narrative that leads up to Genesis 11 that these cities are without the presence of God. 
And ultimately, in Genesis 11, we see this Tower of Babel that is constructed in this city. Do you want to know what the Hebrew word for the Tower of Babel is? Babylon. Isn't that interesting? The city in Assyria to which the Israelites, the, the, the southern kingdom, would go into captivity. But what we see in these very first chapters of Genesis is the desire to see a city built, but that intention of God thwarted by sinful human beings until God comes to the Tower of Babel and scatters the people with language where they are sent hither and yon. And then suddenly, right after that, is the calling of Abraham. The call of Abraham to come and follow God. And he said, I'll make of you a people. And we read that Abraham was a sojourner and a wanderer on the earth. In Hebrews, we're told that Abraham was one who was looking forward to the city. Isn't that interesting? In, Abraham, in, in Hebrews 10, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The reason God brought his people into the promised land, the reason why Jerusalem was one and there the temple was set up and the wall was constructed is because God was going to dwell with his people there. But you remember the story of this city, even Jerusalem, that it fell because the people were filled with idolatry. And the city and the temple were destroyed and they were sent into exile. But the story of the Bible goes on and talks about in Ezra and Nehemiah how the people came back from exile. And what did they build first? They built the temple. And why did they build the temple? So that God would be worshipped. And then they built the city wall. Why? So that the city would exist. This city that God intended to use for the blessing of the nations. That the nations would be born. And this city is what we see Jesus, God's king, enter into on that day when he walks into the city before Easter Sunday. Jesus comes into that place. And the picture that exists is this people gathered. And then suddenly at the end of the New Testament, we see this picture of a new city, a new Jerusalem descending from heaven. The story of the Bible and of God's intent of blessing the nations is focused on a city. And that's why this psalm is focused on this city. This city of Zion, glorious things of thee are spoken, O city of God. Zion, as we read in Psalm 87, is the story of the Bible. It is the song of the city. Do you think about the city that way? Do you think about any city anywhere that way? <laughs> no. You guys know me. What do I love to do? I love to be in the woods. <laughs> I love to be in the mountains. I love to be away from the city. And all week, I've been struggling with that, going, why is it that I love to be away from the woods and love to be away in the mountains and love to be out of the city? Because the city is filled with chaos. The city is broken. The city is a mess. The city reminds me of human brokenness. And yet, it is the city that God tells his people in Jeremiah to pray for. 
and to seek its welfare. And he says, in the welfare of the cities where I have sent you, you will find your welfare. That God has not given up on the cities. We've got a child that comes home. Whenever this child comes home, this child gets on his bike and rides into the city and spends hours riding around the city and being in the city. I want to ask you a question. Do you love the city where God has sent you? Because God loves the city where he has sent you. God loves the city because God intended that it would be through the city of his Zion, the city of our God, that the nations would be blessed. Do you love the city? That's why this song is here, to ask that question. Ultimately, we see this Zion, this place where God dwells with his people, being what? It's the church. It's the place where God dwells with his people, the promise of that place. And that's why the church is in the city. That's why we're here. That's what we have been called to. Why the city? Because God has always intended a city through which, in union with his people, he would bless the nations with rebirth. Why the city? The second thing in Psalm 87 is why the sayings? What are the sayings? Look at it with me. Verses 4 through 6. Look right there. God is speaking in verse 4 when he starts. Among those who know me, I mention. So you hear God's voice there, right, in Psalm 87. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. What has God just said? God has said, of those who know me, I mention these. Rahab, which is a nickname for Egypt. Babylon, these two cities, that, these two places, Egypt and the city of Babylon, who have captured the people of God and the history of God, now who are captivated by God. And then Philistia and Tyre with Cush, these three cities, Philistia and Tyre on the coast, with Egypt and or Israel in the middle, who attacked constantly and were enemies with Israel, along with Cush, this neighboring city next to Egypt that continued to attack the Israelites. It says of these, this one was born there, they say. And then in verse 5, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the people, this one was born there. The psalm says that glorious things are spoken of this city. Weighty things. Things that will blow your mind. What's interesting is that in the glorious things of thee are spoken that we're about to read from what John Newton wrote, he doesn't talk about these cities being born in Zion. But the focus of this psalm is that these were born there. Notice in verse 4 it says, this one was born there. This one, this, this, this amazing reality. This one who was an enemy of God has been reborn in this city of Zion. 
The astonishment in verse 4 is which cities have been reborn? Which peoples have been reborn? Do you know this thing called snowflake adoption? I don't know if you know it. Mita and I looked into it once. And the idea is is that you can adopt an embryo that's already been fertilized. and, And a woman can bring this fertilized embryo to life and to birth in her uterus. And you could give birth to a child of a complete different ethnicity, of nationality, that that looks nothing like you. And that's the astonishment that is being proclaimed here in this city. This one was born here in Zion. The one who was our enemy, who sought to destroy you, has been reborn here in Zion. It's that kind of astonishment. But verse 5 goes from the proclamation and the astonishment that this one was born here Verse 5 goes to talk about the reputation of of Zion. Listen to how it says, And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. The focus becomes on Zion. What is it about Zion that allows this one and that one to be focused, to be born in her? You notice that this idea of birth, this idea of giving birth is there. How is it so that these nations are reborn as those who fear God, who are numbered with his people, as we see in verse 6? How is it possible that that takes place? We're told at the end of verse 5, it says, For the Most High himself will establish her, will make her firm, will make her steadfast. This focus on Zion, the city of God, and what he has done with her is this idea that David picks up in 2 Samuel 7, and he says, God has established this place. We will be his people, and he will be our God. We have been established. This is covenantal language. This is marriage language. This is language of union between God and his people in this city. And the procreation of that union is the birth of the nations. As God's people worship him. As God's people sing his praises. As God's people love the world in which he has placed them. As he loves the world, nations are reborn. This is the picture that God has used for his people throughout all of the Old Testament. The prophets, many of them reference Israel's unfaithfulness to God as adultery, as a wife would be unfaithful to her husband is what it's likened unto. But even better than that, this supper that we're about to do is called what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. We, the church, the Israel of God, the bride of Christ, right here, What is produced in the union of God and his church is the blessing of the nations who come to faith. Do you see that? This one and that one were born in her for God has established her. Born again. It's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Unless one is born of water and of the spirit, they cannot enter heaven. And Nicodemus is shocked. But Jesus explains to him that that is the way. What is the last saying? It's verse 6. Now we hear the voice of the Lord. 
the Lord records as he registers the peoples, the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles, as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Both are emphasized. This one, this foreign nation, and that they were born there in Zion. God records them in this, this book of life. What does that mean? It's as good as guaranteed. God has recorded it. He has put it down. He has declared it. That's the saying. Why the sayings? Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. Because in the union of God with his people, in that city, in that place, the nations are reborn. Why the city? Why the saying? And lastly, why the song? Why the song? We read in the very beginning, the title of this song is a psalm of the sons of Korah. When David brought the ark in and he set it up in the tabernacle, he appointed these sons of Korah to be the ones who were singers and songwriters for the church. This is the oldest band in all of history, sons of Korah. I have no idea if there's ever been another band called the sons of Korah, but that would be a great name, except it's already taken. It's taken right here, the sons of Korah. This is the temple band. This is the name of that band. And David brings them in and focuses their power and their creative energies to writing songs. What do you know about songs? You know that songs are powerful in our lives, don't you? One writer said this, that this song focused God's people on their God-given purpose the blessing of the nations, that nations would be reborn because of their celebration and their faithfulness in union with their God. This song focuses God's people on their God-given purpose. You know that songs shape culture, don't you? You know that. You know that in your own life. The most iconic one that I can think of in our day and age, is the Grateful Dead, right? And don't they shape an entire culture? It's not just a song, but it's an entire culture that is shaped by the Grateful Dead. You can tell deadheads, right, what we call them, by the way they dress, by the way they talk, by the way they engage life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? What's important, what they value, what brings them life, right? We got a lot of these among us. You know this, right? Listen, we know the power of music and song to culture. And here, the psalmist, the sons of Korah, write a song to shape the culture of God's people. A song that we would sing. And my last question to you is what songs shape your life? It's a odd thing to go to a funeral and hear Frank Sinatra sung at a funeral. It's an odd thing to go to a funeral and hear this song sung. And now, the end is here. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I've made it clear. I'll state my case of this I'm certain. 
I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. What song is our culture shaped by? Is it shaped by the dead? Is it shaped by Sinatra? Or is it shaped by this song from the sons of Korah that we would sing and that would focus us and remind us on the very reason why we exist? It's easy enough to live our Christian life and to say, look, I want to live the Christian life my way. We like to say, a little bit of Sons of Socorro, a little bit of Frank Sinatra. That'll get us through. We can make it by like that. But the scriptures say no. Jesus, in his very life, says no. Jesus, the one in the triumphal entry who entered this city, this Jerusalem, who entered this city, and as Dan has already explained in the liturgy, died for us there, exchanging our sin for his righteousness, that we would see God's love for the world, that we would sing Psalm 87. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. It's hard to understand how Zion becomes the church, the place where God dwells with his people by his spirit, and yet we wait for a new city that's going to descend from heaven onto this earth. That city in Revelation is called the city that has no sun because God is its sun, the very light there. But notice that the focus is on the city and not just that. The end of this psalm says, all my springs are in you, the singers and the dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. It is most likely that in you is in this union of God and his people, this city, that all of my life is found there. The union of God and his people in worship and in praise and in sacrifice. Everywhere you see the prophecies of this new city, you see water. You see it in Ezekiel 47, that water flows from the temple. And this water gets so deep that it's impossible to cross it. And there are trees that grow on either side. In Revelation 21, this water, this river that flows from the city of God, guess what it has next to it? The tree of life growing on either side, the leaves of which are for what? The healing of the nations. Psalm 87 
is our psalm. It is our song that drives us to live a life of confident proclamation because God has established his city. Confident proclamation, but also invitation. Do you believe that the place that people will come and see the glory of God is the place where his people are united to him? Do you believe that? Invitation, but also expectation. God has established her. And because we know the New Testament, we are able to say God has established us. The bride of Christ. That in the union that is created, the nations would come and be reborn. This is a song that I hope we learn to sing. And it is a song that shapes us. And that's why it's given. Please pray with me.